Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, one of the hosts for the longest-running Dynasty-focused podcast on the planet, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you an episode packed with relevant and actionable Dynasty information that you can use to help win your league. When I'm in the host chair, we might even play a game or two. We are always open to topic suggestions, so if there's something you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PAHowdy on Twitter. This is, in fact, a member of the DLF family of podcasts. What should we talk about today? Um, all right, so it's rookie report time. It's checking in with rookies in the first year. Obviously, you already have some pretty strong feelings. I have some pretty strong feelings about how great Justin Jefferson is, but um, I just want to run through a quick what am I looking for? This is, is mostly inspired by a couple of things. Um, Oh, off the top, uh, Jacob Brickroad recently tweeted out that, you know, um, he it probably included some stats that, you know, I didn't read, obviously, because I'm not a nerd. Wait. Um, but uh, about, you know, weeks one to four, what stats look like in different draft classes. I think he mentioned Sammy Watkins and Kelvin Benjamin looking like the best rookies in their rookie draft, out of their rookie draft through the first four weeks. And obviously, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we knew better, but still, um, it is important to know that by the end of the season, things can always look very different than through the first four weeks. However, as I'm writing my Target Share article for DLF every week, you can also look at the first four weeks in terms of volume stats and see that, by and large, those getting significant volume through the first four weeks, through the first few weeks, tend to have significant at least target shares by the end of the season. That's not true for all, but you more weeks you see, the more sample you see of players doing things, the more you can trust it, right? We're late, waiting for the season to be completed, but we're making week-to-week decisions. And in Dynasty, especially by now, some of us are starting to look towards the off-season, <laughs> at least in some of our leagues. Um, the other thing was Zach Reed from Dynasty Dummies podcast, who's come on here a lot because... I like him a lot, but um, I recently talked about taking advantage of other people's process, and it got me to thinking about what is my in-season process. I've got my rookie ranks posted, um, keep them public throughout the entirety of the pre-draft and post-draft, and I don't change them. I'm not changing them now, Um, mostly so I can go look back, see what I got right, what I got wrong. Um, as well as just looking through old data and old model results and stuff like that. I have a literal board that I hand-typed out to know how I was actually feeling. And uh, But obviously our feelings changed through the first uh, couple of weeks or the first season as we see it unfold. For example, James Robinson, I'm pretty sure, uh, was not even on that rookie board. So um, what do we know now? So... There are a few things we're looking at. Uh, first is, I have I have a soft rule about players getting injured in year one, especially at wide receiver. It's not a very good excuse. So Denzel Mims being injured and so far not really even earning practice time is not a great luck for perhaps my JJ's a Sega Whiteside of the 2020 class. But... We still have a long season left. Typically, I don't accept they were injured excuses. And it's not because that's not a valid excuse. It's because I'm not actually trying to define 
what makes a good player. I'm trying to look at a historical track record. And players with good profiles, bad profiles, lots of draft capital, no draft capital, drafted to good teams, drafted to bad teams, whatever it is, whatever combination there is that exists in the history that we have to look at, being injured hasn't worked out. Whether that means nothing about the player's ability or not, and it's all about teams fading or getting anxious or getting frustrated and adding other players, no matter what the reason is, fact remains that players that don't do a lot, injured or not, in their first year, it's not great. Now, we have reasonable expectations. Um, one reasonable expectation I mentioned this offseason is a 10% target share for the season. It's a pretty low one for a rookie, especially drafted rounds 1 to 3, which is really where that threshold comes into effect. Obviously, if you're drafting the 4th, 5th, 6th, or you're an undrafted free agent matter kind of a player, um, you, you're not expecting 10% target share in year 1, but it is nice to see. However... That is a reasonable expectation for what a good rookie season looks like. Makes some plays, sticks on the team, impresses in some way, and gets some amount of volume that's in and around 10% of target share, at least. It's not a lot to ask. It's not a lot to hope for. And hopefully Mims can do it. Otherwise, it's a soft rule. Because as we know, in individual circumstances, you have to read... The individual context, you can't just write it off the Delante Parker, who had a great profile and struggled through for three years. And that's the most outlier of example. Players that don't break out with first round draft capital, that don't break out by year three, it's incredibly rare they do anything afterwards. Pretty much it's just Kenny Britt in year eight, and the rest of it was still trash. So, not counting it and uh, we've got Corey Davis showing up a little bit before he goes on the COVID list this year last year we have Devonte Parker breaking out and still being pretty decent this year but by and large there are some hard and fast rules about what we can expect and how we can expect it but again there are players like those that just remind us to keep that a soft rule right and um, read the situation hopefully this Jets team can't get any worse so we'll have some positive news hopefully Denzel Mims does stick to the roster, does keep getting hyped by the team. The team keeps face with him, and we'll have to read more of a narrative argument around that. But for now, yeah, it's just trash. It's just bad. Oh, Nikhil Harry is another good one this year. Now, he's going into his second year, not his fourth. But as I said all offseason, looking like I got Harry, Harry wrong twice, couldn't be happier. Traded for him because the production hasn't quite met up to the role, but it's a role that I'm paying attention to. Is he earning his way into that team? And this year, it definitely seems to be the case. So, uh, pretty excited about that. So, um, we keep it a soft role, but year one does matter. Okay. I talked a lot there without mentioning any extra players. Now, I am going to mention a few things which are actually, I think, relevant for right now, week-to-week decisions. But as always with the crosswords, we're more general, we're more one subject at a time. I'm not even trying to push this out so you can make waiver wire decisions or uh, start sit decisions. Unless anyone wants to email questions to me like that at pahowdy at yahoo.com or hit me up on Twitter at pahowdy. By all means, I'll try and answer any questions I can get. But um, that's not really the focus here. So that's not what's going to be on this podcast. Um, so let's talk about rookies a little bit. I'm going to start off with running backs because it's fairly quick. So we're looking for volume, but we're also looking for efficiency. As Blair Andrews has shown with on rotoviz.com, efficiency or efficient rookie year over a something of a touch threshold. I believe the touches is like a 50 touch threshold and you can 
You can look at a slightly lower threshold for touches if they're just receptions versus just rushing attempts and so on and so forth. But if you're efficient, at least by some decent measure in your rookie season, that actually puts you in a higher hit rate group to get more volume in the following season, which is really what we're driving for, really what we're after. And that makes coherent sense, right? If you impress in your first year by being quote-unquote efficient, the team wants to see more of you or the team doesn't lose faith in you and therefore you continue to grow into the potential or your potential in the league. So we're interested in efficiency. We're also interested in volume because we always are. My two, my favorite way of looking for both of those things is yards per team pass attempt right now. Someone recently mentioned to me, why don't I look at yards per team attempt? And that way it just a little bit for passing attempts and rushing attempts for running backs and quarterbacks. And that makes a lot of sense. So I've put it in my 2020 data sheet for this year. If you want to check that out for free, I post it every everywhere and every week. And, and on Mondays, I literally live stream while I collect the data to put in that sheet and then share the link there too. So um, you have access to everything I talk about today. But um, it's I stick to your team pass tank because I've tested it extensively through this offseason. I understand it well. I don't, I, it's not as natural to me yet to know what a good yards per team attempt looks like or if it actually helps or hurts our understanding of running backs. So I typically just right now look at yards per team pass attempt as a good merger of volume and efficiency, interestingly enough. Um, however, we can also look at expected points, which is, I, I get my expected points from the Rotoviz model. There are a lot of expected points models out there, but essentially it's telling you how much volume or how much valuable, how valuable their volume is, um, both on a week-to-week and a seasonal basis. Uh, so uh, expected points per game is in my sheet, and I'm keeping an eye on that one. Uh, fantasy points over expected, or FPOE, just to keep the acronyms rolling in Nerdland, obviously, uh, is more efficiency-based. Are they producing more or less points than you would expect from an average player, given their touches where they get them on the field? Uh, and finally, just overall volume. Target share, like I say, I have some reasonable thresholds in my head for rookies, um, and any type of efficiency you find good. A yards are always good. Um, market share of air yards or racer receiver air conversion ratio. Today, I'm mostly just going to be looking at yards per team pass attempt, expected points, and target share, because um, it's a fairly simple way of doing it, and I know I can trust those stats. Um, also, points per game is incredibly sticky and predictive year over year, so I like looking at that in general, but where we're expecting less from rookies overall. It's not an expected points. We necessarily want to stay sticky, although there are a few rookies this year obviously killing it, especially at the running back position. Oh, I was also going to mention touchdown by yard, which is a way we can look for regression, and that's what I think might be slightly relevant in terms of buy windows in Dynasty. If you're looking to invest in the future, there might be some added benefit to speeding up that process for some rookies right now because they might be due a big game, which is going to take any micro market or potential value window um, more off the cards for dynasty players, especially if we're thinking more about the future than right now, depending on how your team's doing. All right, so how about I do so, some of that instead of talking about it? All right, so looking at the running back position, the best running back in this year's class so far is an undrafted free agent called James Robinson at the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's had about 53 expected points, which is decent. 
Um, it's not incredible, um, but he's got 11% target share, which is too low for that offense. But it's significant enough to say that he has a three-down skill set, and he's been doing pretty decent with it. Um, he's got 3.0 yards per team pass attempt, which for a running back is good. Um, it's not it's not what I'd call like the best in the world or anything. For example, Alvin Kamara's getting a 4.28. Dalvin Cook's getting a 4.64. Aaron Jones is around the 3.6 mark as well. And James Robinson is slightly below Aaron Jones at 3.03. Um, so Derek Henry is another ending with examples around 3.3. So again, he's not Saquon Barkleying it um, or Christian McCaffreying it, but he's a, as you know, been an incredibly productive player, and he so far it looks to deserve it. He's got the skill set for that particular situation, and he's doing well with it. As we know, undrafted free agents fade, but um, there's no reason here to fear him, even into his second year, unless the team drafts the next Saquon Barkley, perhaps in a Trey Mason kind of fashion. Um, the next one on the list um, in terms of the RPP pass pen is actually Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And he's an interesting case because he's got 80 expected points, significantly more than James Robinson, just to point that out. Um, as a way of moderating that, I mean, James Robinson has 13 expected points per game. That's so 13 volume uh, a game. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has 20. He has had a significant... I know James Robinson is killing it as an undrafted free agent, so obviously I'm a big fan, but Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has fully lived up to the RB1, RB2, 101, 102 pick, whatever we spent on him this year, depending on how you felt about Jonathan Taylor. To, to go, dig into that a little bit more, um, and I'm sure this has been pointed out a lot, but I haven't heard too much of it. Right now, he's got about 433 yards from scrimmage, I guess, um, in the rushing receiving game per touchdown. Now, this is a very simple regression metric, and it's something that might come up, especially in terms if you're trying to win or if you're looking at a dynasty value market situation. Um, Typically, players operate, according to Adam Harmstead, who I went on his podcast recently, and he told me I should just do it this way instead of trying to create a new red zone database. Um, Typically, players operate between 100 and 200 yards per touchdown, and that's pretty much universal across running backs, wide receivers, good, bad, ugly, somewhere in that range. So it's a fairly large range of an extra 100 yards per touchdown, so it's fairly safe. And it's fairly safe to say that 433 yards per touchdown is bad. That's not, not the... It's bad in that it will regress soon. There is no way Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is keeping up this level of volume, getting one touchdown for every 400 yards on the field. It's not going to happen. This is going to come down. We can expect some more touchdowns fairly soon-ish from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, given health and everything else. That means he's got a game coming. Um, So whether you want to invest at what might be a low ebb, even though everyone knows he's like a top 12 running back right now, um, that he's good. Some expectations might be muted because of a lack of touchdowns. And in that offense, especially, you've got to believe they're coming anyway. So, yeah, if there is any chance you can invest in Clyde Ebersolaire, that's a pretty good time to do it because it's probably going to go up relatively soon. I'm not going to put a time frame on it because, you know, according to Adam Harmstead, Rob Gronkowski just dipped into that 100 to 200 yards per team 
yards per touchdown range, and that's several years into his career, but I do expect this to regress a lot quicker um, than years. It's going to be games, I think. Maybe next game, maybe the game after, but I'm pretty sure he's got some touchdowns coming to him. Anyway, I'm belaboring the point here. Jonathan Taylor's killing it. He's the third highest running back on this list, according to how it's been team pass attempt. His touchdowns look relatively average. His volume, interestingly enough, is in the same range as James Robinson, which again, highlights how much more valuable volume Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is getting right now. Jonathan Taylor's usage total has been dropping off, interestingly, over the last few weeks. But if I look at his weekly stats... I think that's mostly to do with his receiving work. He got a lot more receiving work. In fact, he got pretty much purely receiving work in the first week, which honestly just reminds us that the team knows of his receiving skill set and that he did carry that into the NFL. There were some concerns where he got his largest receiving role late into his college career. Would that really carry over? Would he just be a prolific rusher? And the Colts know about it and they're willing to use him. But over the last three weeks, um, his usage total has definitely dropped down from six targets in that first game to his highest mark since then has been two targets uh, in week two. And so, yeah, it's really been the receiving works that's disappeared. Um, his high watermark in rushing attempts has been about 65% of team rushing attempts. That was also week two. Um, but outside of that, he's really been averaging around 41 to 45% of team rushing attempts. But it has been steady. That's not where we want it to be or hoped it would be. But the team's got Naheem Hines. It's just not rolling that way. I don't see any reason to be hugely concerned with Jonathan Taylor right now. Um, mostly, I think his role's bouncing around a, a little bit for a rookie in a... Uh, in a weird, um, to put it mildly, first season. Um, I'm feeling better about having Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on teams because I was really flip-flopping both of those two at the top of my ranks for this year's draft. Um, But I'm not running for the hills on Jonathan Taylor right now. I think his road clothes have been great. Again, James Robinson has gotten all the accolades whereas Jonathan Taylor's getting less of the accolades. And in terms of the value of their role... They're the same, which is, again, amazing for James Robinson, and it's a down for Jonathan Taylor at the same level. And I think it's worth keeping that in mind that, um, honestly, Jonathan Taylor looks like he's doing pretty well in his rookie year. And next up is Antonio Gibson. Don't feel like taking an L on that, but I was a little low to average-ish on it, just because he'd never been a running back, and he's impressing in his first year. Um, this is where the workload back role ends for rookie running backs, by the way, uh, despite three years of hype. Anyway, uh, from the Debbie community. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, but he's doing decent. Um, very impressive for a guy who played minimal, but did play running back significantly uh, to some extent, rather, in college. Um, but again, uh, both of those guys' target share, Taylor and Gibson, is a lot lower for guys that really thought to do at their height of their potential to do a lot more. 8% is the target share for both players, and that's a low watermark for the offenses that are on. And I think it's important to remember team volume for target share as well, to keep that in mind. And that's partly what yards per team pass attempt helps keep an eye on, by the way, but still. Um, yeah, 8% is way too low for offenses with that level of passing, um, in my opinion. And that's a concern for both of them right now. But through four weeks, I I'm, I, I like both of them. Um, I'm more interested in buying Taylor just because of, of all the ans- other ancillary things. But so still going in his favor. His rookie profile still counts. Again, Jacob Rick Rhodes' point. We feel very differently at the end of the season after, than after the first four weeks. 
and that's no matter how f- f- good or bad those first four weeks are. So you definitely don't want to let go of that um, that rookie profile that we worked so hard on in the off season. So yeah, Taylor looks more like a buy to me than a meh, maybe I got it wrong kind of a candidate. It, it looks like a buy. And Gibson, I have raised my estimation of him, but it's probably just below the range that some of the high counters on Gibson's potential were. I think he has top 24 running back ceiling, which is highly impressive as a player, but still hasn't quite met the expectations of some truth as I heard this offseason. But anyway, Joshua Kelly's doing really well. He's held back by Eckler. And now he's in a bit more of a committee. Now Eckler's on IR and he hasn't broken free yet. But I still have pretty good confidence in that 20 point per game average he put up in his college days. And he's in this same volume range despite being in more of a committee for the most of the season so far. I mean, Gibson's had Peterson to contend with, don't get me wrong. Um, but he's getting, what is it, uh, about the exact same expected points per game, 11, 11.08, whereas Gibson's 11.63. I mean, it's virtually identical. Um, so Kelly's looking like uh, one of the values we did get right, or I feel personally I got right. Dundre Switz has been very disappointing, but uh, to point out, he's getting eight expected points a game, 35 points expected points overall. Um, he does have that receiving score set in the NFL. The Lions are just lining right now, and it's pretty annoying. Um, him and Dobbins fall into a category here of so far disappointing in their rookie seasons. But honestly, I'm not seeing anything that wants me to push away their rookie profiles. Um, again, we're mostly looking for you either confirm or it gets positive early in a season where so much can change. You don't want to come down on a player that you love this preseason and now looks terrible and especially as a rookie because now's not the time to get it wrong twice in the off season we'll talk again let's see what is for their full seasons are but if you are a big fan of swiss this off season it's not the time to really panic on him again it's it's disappointing i get it and but i don't think we're there yet it's too early and his volume's decent um for a Lions team that's been weird, same goes with J.K. Dobbins. I've been really impressed with J.K. Dobbins' role, actually. On an offense, it clearly wants to have a 33% split between three different players. He's been the receiving back, which is important for fantasy, but also for a team um, that might look to coalesce around one player as we move forward. I don't think the team wants to, but that's often what can be, happen if the player is skillful enough. And so, okay, J.K. Dobbins has been pretty successful at that for example he's more efficient on a per team pass attempt basis than deandre swift despite getting more volume and the more volume you get the harder it is to be more efficient and so yeah i'm pretty impressed with that guy and zach moss is yeah he's been injured so we can't talk about him much and so i'm gonna switch over to um tight end just because i have one quick point to make in a bad tight end class it's always worth keeping an eye on uh, just a little bit because tight, good players come from bad classes. It's a DeAndre Hopkins rule I've got for myself. He came from a terrible draft class. It profiled badly. It did badly. And he's one of the best wide receivers we've ever had for fantasy ever. So don't judge a player by the class Some every now and again. And I just wanted to point out, Harrison, like I was high on none of these guys. I don't think I have any of them except for maybe Adam Troutman because he was falling way late and he went to the Saints and he had decent but lower uh, conference production. Go back and listen to my rookie profiles if you in any way want to know more about what I think about these players. I went into depth on all of them. But Harrison Bryant, 
I know there were two guys with very similar names at the top of this tight end class that no one cared about, including me. This is not a, hey, look what I got right. It's just something I noticed while doing this research. He's got a 10% target share right now. And don't get me wrong, Austin Hooper is actually doing pretty well because he's a good tight end and he's probably going to be there anyway. So Harrison Bryant, no path to a greater role or anything. But 10% target share for a rookie tight end? That's that's honestly pretty impressive to me. Um, I think that's interesting. 17 expected points on the season, only four expected points per game. So he has to, you know, outproduce his expected points by six every game in order to have a fantasy relevant streamable role. Not saying he's relevant, not saying he's going to be good this year. But honestly, so far through the start of the season, he's played four games and he's got a 10% target share. That's notable to me. Especially in a class that no one wants anything to do with and probably shouldn't. But if you're on tight end premium, if you have a bench spot and you need a tight end maybe over the next three years, I'm just saying that's the only guy who's pretty much done anything that interests me out of this tight end class. And good players occasionally come from bad classes. Um, all right, so over into the wide receivers, which is, you know, what we're all waiting for, right? That's what I'm waiting for. And Justin Jefferson is amazing. I, I don't know anywhere, I, I, and C.D. Lamb was my wide receiver one, like everyone else, and like it should be for everyone else, and he's doing great, and I know he's been a big story, and I talked about it on the last podcast as well, where, uh, no, that was my DLF article, where his spikes are obscuring the fact that what he's doing is an exceptional rookie year, not exceptional regular year he's averaging about a 14 percent target share which is probably where we should expect him to stick which is amazing for a rookie on a three-headed well really talented team that's impressive and again adjust the target share for the team volume he's getting 1.59 yards per team pass attempt that's the way i would do that and that's really solid that's an incredible number for a rookie even in the first round with cd lamb's skill set He's killing it. There's, if you've got CeeDee Lamb, just give yourself a pat on the back right now. Do it. You deserve it. We all deserve it because we all saw it coming. So it's a little hard to be any higher on him than we were. But Justin Jefferson, just to point this out, he wasn't playing much through the first few games. He actually had, uh, he's played four games, but it's really only been involved in two games. Right now, he has a yards per team pass attempt, so his efficiency and his volume adjusted by the team level of passing of 3.48. One, it's unsustainable. Yes, I know regression, nerds. I hear you. It's also amazing through the first four weeks, and it's coupled with a 21% target share when he's only played half these weeks. He's playing as an outside wide receiver, and I'm sorry, Zach Reed, but this is a like thing I do like to hold on to my rookie evaluation. Golden Tate plays an outside receiver and becomes an inside receiver in the NFL. I'm not sure how well the role you play in college translates to the NFL. I, I think it's pretty sticky. It's pretty consistent. You don't become Julio Jones after being Jarvis Landry in college, although Jarvis Landry kind of played a little bit on the outside with Odo Beckham in college, but still... Um, but yeah, he's, he's been killing it and that's got to be a skill set more than his likely role. But as we know, Minnesota, cause we've seen two great wide receivers on this team before, and we have two new good ones with, uh, Adam Thielen twice and then Stefan Diggs switching out and now it's Justin Jefferson. Um, we know they switch in and out of the slot. 
the team tends to do that based on matchups, and and the slot is where you score a lot of points. But Justin Jefferson is actually doing this with an incredible aid out on the outside of the uh, of the number. This it's it's a really impressive rookie season, and I'm not saying therefore he's better than C.D. Lamb. I still would not re-rank them. I think I had Jefferson second or third. I would have to check. But, I mean, wow. And it's going to come down. And remember, rookie expectations is around 10% target share. C.D. Lamb's 14 is incredible. And 3.48 yards per team pass attempt is not sustainable. But it's if you've got Justin Jefferson on your team, give yourself two pats on the back. Like, not only was that not the consensus wide receiver one, but he's been incredibly impressive through the first four weeks, and I really expect him to continue to. Both guys look like they're going to have great careers. Guy I have to take a little lemon juice with, because um, I was middling as that consensus, which is how I protect myself from being just good or just bad. I get I do like to have a strong opinion, but Chanel, I have my doubts. Um, he's been bolstered by rushing attempts, but that was the profile, right? Um, and he's been impressive through the first uh, four weeks. He's actually third in yards per team pass attempt for this rookie class, followed by Jerry Judy, who's also, I was unsure about that Alabama adjustment, and through the first four weeks, shut up, Pete. I mean, just accept what the overall model score says, I guess. Next up is, interesting enough, Chase Claypool. Um, he's, there's a significant drop-off here in yards per team pass attempt, so efficiency, production, merge with the team volume. Um, he's also, I don't know, I don't know about Chase Claypool. He's someone who's fairly low on, um, and he hasn't quite crossed the touch threshold yet for this to matter, but he's showing up. Um, if you really like Chase Claypool, so far you've probably had that confirmed. I still, I don't know, I it's not a situation thing for me, like with Harris and Brian. I don't pretend to predict how situations are going to unfold. I just try to identify people who are doing well in their situations, above expected. And frankly, Claypool kind of is. So I'll just leave that as it is. Um, next up is Brandon Ayuk. He's really played relatively small sample size right now, so it's hard to judge. But he was, frankly, incredible to watch. Not that I watch. Um, and it's bringing him up here into, what is it, sixth overall in the odds between passes. Then. The one I want to talk about a little bit more is T. Higgins. I'm getting A.J. Brown here, man. A.J. Brown, Cortland Sutton, and T. Higgins. And I've identified the pattern so well that I've actually been mentioning it when I do rookie evaluations in the offseason. So, like, I've kinda, I kind of knew this was coming, but... The players I like, the model likes them, I like their production, I can't find any problems with them, but there are other people that did better, you know, they just created more space around them on their teams, and so they're difficult, I do end up with Higgins, because I've learned to listen to the AJ Browns and the good profiles that no one has a hot take for, so he's not getting over or underdrafted. He's just kind of sitting in a perfect value range for what he's done and his likelihood of hitting. And it's happening with Higgins. And and luckily, I've learned. You you get better. And I've got Higgins on... I had him on at least two squads. I think I've traded him on one already. Um, Really interesting. 30% target share. Slightly below what you'd expect for a good player um, in yards per team pass attempt. Is it 0.93%? But for a rookie, we have a, a wider range of expectations. I don't think he's been quite efficient enough yet. But I am, from what I've seen, honestly, just watching him, he does seem to be 
translating to the NFL well. He's in a difficult situation with a rookie quarterback. A.J. Green's getting all that volume and so far struggling to pay off in it. And Tyler Boyd's a volume monster as well. It's difficult for D. Higgins, and yet he's been impressing. So when I read the individual story here, which you always should keep that in mind, even when looking through statistics, and I kind of like one scene with him, T. T. Higgins. I I think he's kind of, he's not A.J. Brown, he's not Colton Sutton, who are both very different players themselves and have done very different things so far that's just a rookie evaluation thing that like he falls into this weird little crux of I agree with consensus and so I don't reach on them and I don't but I catch them if they fall even like half a tick and I have a pick and that means you might not have I might not have enough T Higgins and I hate that idea but this year I, I actually managed to get enough T Higgins I have no AJ Brown and I'm starting to pick up Colton Sutton now he's injured Um, next on the list and the last relevant player so far just you know with significant, with good volume thresholds. Donald Mooney's kind of been killing it as that fourth round pick, which I love, obviously. Um, again, not trying to read the situation. Um, he's got a similar yards per team pass attempt to uh, problem as Higgins in that it's around 0.9. It's actually right on 0.9. Um, so and that's, that's slightly below what we want, typically, um, for a wide receiver. But again, rookie expectations for a fourth-round pick with Allen Robinson on the team with a 13% target share. I kind of like him. I kind of think he's doing well. We know there are problems with later drafted players, especially at wide receiver. Teams can just move on at any time because they're cold-blooded and they like their own picks. But I'm having, I'm feeling pretty good about having some deep, late, no-pressure Donald Mooney shares in some of my leagues. Um, and if you weren't aware of him, now's time to get aware. Don't go spending a first-round pick on Donald Mooney or nothing crazy, but if you can add him in a trade, it's kind of got late second-round value to me right now. And that's already a value jump. So if you're like, that's good enough for me, time to jump ship, that's your choice, and it's always a good choice to profit. Um, and he's not going to be a top 12 wide receiver or anything ever um, or this year, but he's going to provide value. I think in Dynasty at least, and he kind of already has if people are starting to become more aware of him. So yeah, pretty happy with Donald Mooney so far as well. Um, all right, that's the three positions I'm going to profile because quarterback doesn't exist for profiling, right? I, okay, let me take a quick look at Joe Burrow and Herbert here. Good. They are entering the good range of what rookie quarterbacks do, and that's literally all I got for you. I'm, I'm not avoiding it to avoid it, I literally find quarterback evaluation particularly hard. Um, I don't have a great process for it yet, and so I'd like not to comment on it. All right, um, who else was I going to shout out here in terms of inefficiency and likely regression? If you stuck through it to the end, I'm sorry. Uh, And also, here's some tips on players that should catch a touchdown pretty soon based on yards, touchdown per yard. They're just out of that 100 to 200 range. I've mentioned Clyde Ebersler is wackily, way outside the range of where he should be there's got to be a touchdown or two coming soon but players who aren't quite that extreme um on the best offense in football uh justin jefferson weirdly for doing so well he's got 348 receiving yards per touchdown that means he has one touchdown i especially for the role he's playing right now he's 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 got to get more touchdowns so yeah he's he's looking like a regression candidate as a rookie in touch in the touchdown department and Laviska Schnault is slightly outside the range at 244 yards per tar- per touchdown but he's also getting a rushing boost he's getting rushing yards so i don't know he's kind of 
it's probably yeah he's probably going to regress sometime soon same with jerry judy if he can get healthy and get back on the field which i think he, he's doing now right i don't watch football so i don't know um uh, all three of those players look like they're getting a little unlucky in the touchdown department uh, and should score not an unexpected an expected touchdown pretty soon this week next week i don't know if you're interested in thinking about next year again that's where i think the value of that for regression for rookies is is that they might suddenly i mean if someone makes a play and puts up a 20 point game their rookie value the chance of buying them is basically going to end right now and so if you're not sure about your chances in this season and you should want these rookie wide receivers now's probably a better time to buy them than wait for the for the end of the game this sunday and um, because it might be this sunday you know and um, same with clyde abbas joshua kelly uh, at the running back position also slightly outside the range of where you would expect his yards per touchdown to be he's got 258 yards per touchdown you expect him to have a few more touchdowns or at least one more touchdown so far and then he's currently had with the yardage total he's putting up. Um, and that's it. That's my regression candidates, my rookie regression candidates. Hopefully, that'll get you in on some buying windows. I know the game's probably pretty uh, about to play uh, like the day after this podcast usually drops, so I don't know how much of a window that is. But hopefully, maybe one of them won't catch a touchdown this weekend, and it'll actually be a week-long window instead of a day-long window. Obviously, Jalen Rago is injured. I trade for him every day, I think, in different leagues. I, th- I sent one yesterday all right i promise i promise someone me you everyone i will get a guest next week to get a conversation going instead of me monotoning it into the mic and but hopefully it's useful and hopefully it's interesting and uh yeah thanks for checking it out guys i really do appreciate it please leave a comment leave a review uh give me a high five if you see me in the street i don't know i just thought i'd go for that and i will talk to you again next week appreciate it yeah Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table when they born a place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, you got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road. Go, clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical